Hello and welcome to Startup. I'm Alex Bloomberg. You are listening to episode four of our five-episode Startup mini-binge. We're revisiting favorite startup episodes about Gimlet because ABC is launching a show based on that first season. It's called Alex Inc. You can tune in Wednesdays on ABC. And to recap, last episode, you heard how we eventually settled on the name Gimlet Media. In subsequent episodes, we continued to gather momentum. We got more investors, including, finally, Chris Saka and his partner, Matt Mazio, the investors I pitched in the very first episodes of the series. When I got the news, I immediately called my partner, Matt Lieber, who recorded the conversation. Okay, I'm recording you on speaker. Hi. So, uh, I just, I, I, I just got off the phone with Matt Mazio. Right. Uh, and, uh, and I'm... They're in? <laughs> That's awesome. Is that great? We also did some other things. We invited our listeners to invest through this sort of crowd equity platform, which many of them did. And we launched another podcast, our second, a podcast about the internet called Reply All. And that brings us to the episode you're about to hear, an episode called We Made a Mistake. From Gimlet Media, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and you're listening to Startup podcast about what really happens when you launch a company. And before we even begin, I want to give a brief warning about our show today. It's all about mistakes. And when people make mistakes, they curse. So this is a particularly F-bomb heavy episode. And the cursing starts almost immediately, like right now in the tape I'm about to play. So if you're not into hearing that, or more likely you're not into your kids hearing that, take action now. Okay. Ready? I don't even know where the fucking file is. It's playing. It's somewhere. (laughs) But where is it? All you have to do is hit Apple I on it in your iTunes. I'm telling you, dude, it is not in my iTunes. It's late afternoon, the Monday before Thanksgiving, and we are trying to do something that seemed like it would be simple. Upload the first episode of our brand new show, Reply All, a show about people and the internet. Alex, one of the hosts of Reply All, is on his computer, frantically trying to find the right MP3 to upload. This was supposed to be a triumphant moment, the culmination of weeks of hard work, interviewing, cutting, writing, editing, more writing, more editing, mixing. We listened to over a dozen different theme song drafts. We'd gone through many rounds of iterations on the logo. And here we were, stuck at posting the file. Right now, this great momentous thing is happening, but for Alex, it's just like registering as a technical failure. Eventually, Alex found the file he wanted to post. But there was still all this data to enter. Dates, names, tags, show description. Wait, 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 wait. Get rid of that. There's no no comma there. Also, we use the there word There is stra- a comma there. there. A stranger doesn't... A, a comma doesn't belong there. Alex? Also, Do you want to get into commas right now? strange and stranger. There can't be... Lena, do you think there should be a comma right there? Wait, where? Or do you think it should just be a weird fucking run-on sentence? I mean, the comma doesn't belong there. God damn it! <laughs> And then finally, we were ready. All we had to do was hit publish. Is everybody ready? I'm going to do it. Goldman, hit it. Opa! (laughs) What we did not know in this moment was that in that podcast that we just uploaded, there was a mistake. A mistake that the next day, Tuesday, would plunge our young company into the center of an internet controversy that felt, at the time, as if it threatened everything we'd built up until that point. It was a bad, bad day. That bad day and all we learned from it, coming up on this episode of Startup.
So let's start with the mistake. The mistake was in an ad that appeared in the episode of Reply All that we just posted. This ad. This episode of Reply All is brought to you by Squarespace, the easiest way for anyone to create an exceptional website. One person using Squarespace is Riley, a nine-year-old who wants to share his infectious love of Minecraft with the world. So why did you start a website about it? What did you want to tell everybody about it? I, I know so much about it now. When I started it, I was sick and I wanted something to do. And I had all these thoughts. And then me and my mom decided, let's make a website about Minecraft. The mistake was this. We had not told the boy in the ad, Riley, or his mother, Linda, that the interview we did with him about Minecraft was for an ad. Can you tell me the address of your website so we can get people to go look at it? Hold on. I'm going to ask my mom. It's Riley Sharps. Mm Mm-hmm. And then... Dot squarespace dot com. And there's a dash between what Riley and Sharps. If you want to start a website about Minecraft or literally anything else, go to squarespace.com to get... Linda, Riley's mom thought the interview was for a radio show, specifically the radio show This American Life. Because on top of failing to inform Linda the true purpose of this interview, our producer who booked it had told Linda that she worked for, quote, This American Life's Alex Bloomberg. Linda had tweeted out to all her friends that her son was going to be on This American Life. So when she found out that her son was actually in an ad, she was understandably quite upset. I talked to our producer, Lena, who set up the interview with Riley. She'd been hired just a week or two earlier, and one of the first things we'd asked her to do, find Squarespace users who we could interview for our Squarespace ads. And so I went into Twitter, and I just looked up anyone who's used the word Squarespace in, like, the last three months. Mm -hmm. And then anything that led me to an interesting site, I would just email that person and say, Hi, I work for Alex Bloomberg. He used to work for This American Life and Planet Money. Um, We're interested in talking to people who use Squarespace. Um, can you email me back? And then with almost everyone I spoke with, as soon as they emailed me back, I wrote back to say, just to be clear, though, this is for an advertisement. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that with one person who was the mother of the child that owned the website. and mm-hmm. He's a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why not? I just didn't think about it. Lena was Gimlet Media's fourth hire, excluding Matt and me. She'd started as a temp producer for Alex and PJ, and in the way of startups, she'd turned permanent through smarts, a positive attitude, and hard work. But she wasn't super experienced. And even if she had been, what we were asking her to do, book guests to appear on documentary-style podcast advertisements, that's a pretty new thing for everyone. A new thing that I had utterly failed to prepare her for. But of course, Linda didn't know any of that. I felt awful. I called Linda. I told her, I'm so sorry. I know how disappointed you must be feeling. She asked me why we hadn't told her it was for an ad. And I said, it was just a stupid mistake. We're the small team. We were cramming before the launch of the show. Linda listened patiently, but I could tell she wasn't finding this very convincing. It was a cordial conversation. She thanked me for calling. But the tweets continued. One tweet read, quote, when we blur the lines between marketing and journalism to the point where people are misinformed, that's just lying. Another one said that what we did was, quote, beyond shady, and that she couldn't help but feel, quote, the deception was deliberate. Linda had a lot of followers, over 11,000, and they started tweeting about it as well. By midday, there was a full-on mini-tweet storm. And what's worse, because of our mistake, This American Life was implicated. 
Several of Linda's followers at mentioned This American Life and NPR in their tweets and accused us all of intentionally deceiving a nine-year-old child. And as the tweets continued and got picked up more and more widely, our mistake was expanding. No longer was it simply a failure to properly inform Linda and her son about who we were and what we were doing. All of a sudden, people were starting to question the ethics behind our entire advertising strategy. In other words, we were being dragged into the wrong side of an argument over native advertising. Native advertising is when advertising looks and feels like the non-advertising content which surrounds it. It's a hot topic in any future of media discussion. You see native advertising on websites and magazines, you hear it on the radio. And the problem that people have with it, of course, is that it looks and sounds like the regular content. People can be deceived about what is something somebody's paid to say and what is something they actually believe. And this was particularly heartbreaking because I'll just go ahead and say this. I feel proud of how we've handled our sponsorship so far. We've made some interesting ads, ads that employ the tools of documentary and storytelling, but we've gone out of our way to highlight with music and words that it is advertising and not editorial content. We've steered clear of what I consider the most troubling aspects of this new model, the possibility of deception. But now, because we had perpetrated, unwittingly, a deception, and this deception was associated with our sponsorships, people were now associating us with the slimier elements of native advertising. So we had this dilemma. On the one hand, we wanted to correct the record, say, yeah, we made a mistake, but not that mistake. But on the other hand, the more attention we gave to it, the more other people might notice as well and take what was still a small thing and turn it into a big thing. We had a team meeting to figure out what, if anything, we should do to respond. Put out some sort of statement somewhere. Engage Linda on Twitter more. Do nothing. Alex Goldman weighed in first. I just, I just like, I think that this is, it feels huge because the, everybody on the internet feels like they, they are this, of the same size. But this, in the annals of scandal, this is really small. We owned it right away. I think we've done everything right. I think, uh, I, I just really, like, I think that it, to get upset or to, like, try, like, continue this conversation is a mistake. If I came to this from outside of it, I would not say they owned it. This is PJ, Alex's Reply All co-host. I would say they're waiting to see if they have to apologize. Which is what, which is what we're doing. The problem is, the problem is that this American Life thing is mixed up in it. So, like, um... Did they get on Twitter? They did. Yeah, they got on Twitter and they responded to her. That's what I'm saying. Like, they responded to her. This isn't us. This isn't us. And she was like, well, if you look at how it was presented to me, you can see why I was confused. And it's like, yeah, that's true. We, I think you're upset about misrepresentation because we misrepresented ourselves. And we're like, I don't want to defend that because I don't think we can. We need to say something. So after that hour or so of deliberation, we settled on this approach. One simple tweet at Linda, in which I said, we are so sorry for misleading you, not intentional, but inexcusable. We took down the ad. Thanks for letting us know. And for a while, it seemed that the worst was over. This was early afternoon, and for most of the rest of the day, there wasn't really anything on Twitter about it. But then, when I was in the studio recording part of my interview with Lena, we found out that it wasn't over. I've been here a couple of weeks and like pretty much every day when I come in, I feel like I have a list of things for myself that I need to get done. And my goal. Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody from BuzzFeed just forwarded this thing like to me, someone saying, like, I think they're going to write about it. Uh, OK, 
So we need to treat this as like a thing that's. All right. Anyway, enjoy the oh, Okay. That's PJ at the door. He had gotten an email from a reporter at BuzzFeed. They'd seen the tweets. They were interested in writing an article. Later that night, Matt and I did the interview with BuzzFeed. They were nice. We were effusive in our apologies for being so bungling. But it felt like a scene in a horror movie where something was coming. We just didn't know what. This article felt like it would lead to other articles, and those articles would show up in Google searches about Gimlet Media. And maybe this seems extreme to say now, but at the time, it felt like we would be forever branded with this weird little asterisk in people's minds. Weren't you the ones who tricked a little boy into being on an ad? Then, at home, I got an email from PJ. BuzzFeed had talked to Linda, and they decided to pass on the article for now. They didn't say why, but I didn't care. Our mistake, it turns out, would not be elevated into a think piece about the murky ethics around native advertising. Our mistake had been left to dissolve alone in the Twitter sphere. I had the soundest sleep I'd had in weeks. Coming up, how a tweet storm can turn into a tweet sunny day. People said that, right? After this word from our sponsor. Hey, Alex. Linda. After the holidays, I sent Linda a long email, much longer than 140 characters, explaining everything that had happened. I told her we were going to be talking about it all on the podcast and that we would love her perspective. And she agreed. I'm recording our conversation uh, for possible use on uh, the podcast startup. Um, Let me come right out of there and get that out of the way right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like we have to be super clear about everything now. I'm like, Alex, I'm about to take a drink of my glass of water. I just (laughs) wanted to tell you that. Disclosure. Linda Sharps is a freelance writer, marketer, and blogger in Eugene, Oregon. I got her to walk me through everything that happened from her perspective, starting with when our producer, Lena, first reached out to her. The way she represented it to me was, um, or the way I took it, I should be clear, uh, is that this American life's Alex Bloomberg was aware of my son's Minecraft website on Squarespace. Um, You guys thought it was cool and you wanted to talk to him about that. And and you're thinking at that time, like, this is awesome. This American Life wants to talk to my son. Absolutely. And what I did before I even responded to Lena in the positive and saying, Mm -hmm. heck yes, I shared a screenshot of her email on Instagram. And I was like, holy shit, you guys. This American Life wants to talk to Riley. And I had people like royally geeked Mm -hmm. on son's behalf. And so it became this very big like, oh my God, when is it going to air? The excitement level, everyone was at like a 13. Okay, so so then fast forward now. So so you have that conversation. They do the interview uh, with your son, and then um, when did you become aware that 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 the thing you thought was happening was not happening? The next day, someone on Twitter was like, "Hey, Linda. Um, hey, I just heard your son on an ad for Squarespace on Reply All." That was awesome. Or like he was cute or something like that. She wasn't uh-huh. alerting me. Oh, this is super messed up. She was just saying, hey, I just heard it. And, you know, 
way to go. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean add? What do you mean reply all? Hold hold up. And Uh then that's when I emailed Lena to be like, I'm super confused. I told Linda that if I'd been able to tell the me of Tuesday that just a week later, she and I would be having a friendly conversation about all this, I would have broken down in tears of relief. Because a conversation like this is all I wanted to do. I like having conversations with people. That's why I made it my job, basically. But on Tuesday, an unguarded discussion felt impossible because everything I said on the subject felt like it might mushroom into a bunch of unwanted media attention. And also, on a more personal level, I just hate thinking people are mad at me. To a fault, it's actually a problem I have. And I knew Linda was mad. Yeah, and I was kind of mad. You know, my right. feelings hurt. And I, and honestly, you know, I was kind of mad that it wasn't communicated to me. It wasn't disclosed to me. And to be honest, you know, like having thought about it for a while, I think the reason also that I was upset is because I was a little embarrassed. Right. You know what I mean? Like in retrospect, I kind of felt like, you know, the part of me that maybe is kind of can be prone to self-doubt was kind of like, of course it wasn't a This American Life story. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. That's part of it, certainly. But talking to her, I also got a glimpse into exactly how shady this all did look from her perspective. Like when I had first talked to her on the phone on that Tuesday morning, I had assumed she was familiar with the backstory, that she knew about me and my company and startup, that she had the context. That was not at all true. She knew about This American Life, sure, but she had no idea about Gimlet Media or who I was, frankly. Yeah, not really familiar with you personally. I realized that like after I talked to you and on my way home, I was like, because, uh, you know, again, I was like, why is she still so mad? Like, as I thought we had this nice conversation. And then I realized Bloomberg, she doesn't know who the fuck you are. Like she has like from her perspective, like she, you're some guy that used to work with This American Life, claimed he still worked for This American Life and told her her son was going to be on This American Life and then put him on an ad. And that's like really well, suspicious. Exactly. That is that is what I felt. And, um, you know, I like at this point. To me, um, I guess it doesn't feel relevant to focus on, you know, what you what you got from Squarespace for that ad. But at the time, I was just thinking, well, that's kind of bullshit that they just didn't even, you know, they didn't, not only did they not disclose, but they didn't even offer compensation. Like, I don't know in retrospect whether or not I would have been interested in it. It's, right. it's sort of a moot point, but that, again, that maybe is why why I was angry at the time. And because really at the end of the day, I want, I, you know, I want to uh, be clear that probably I would have been less upset about all of this if you had interviewed me about um, whatever it was, if it was about right. Squarespace. Right. You know, but you talked to my nine-year-old son who was so excited. Uh, yeah. And that is yucky. You know, yeah. like after the fact, the fact that, you know, I misrepresented it to him. He never had a chance to say, yes, I want to be part of an ad. No, I don't want to be part of that. And right. he actually felt really upset afterwards because um, <laughs> because he, okay, he watches a lot of YouTube videos about Minecraft and he freaking hates the ads. Uh-huh. So he's always, you know what I mean? He's always like, right. oh my God, I hate, I hate ads. 
One thing this whole episode made us realize, we need some guidelines here, a policy. Like that compensation issue that Linda brought up, we'd never even thought of that. I mean, it had not crossed my mind. It's one thing to try a quirky ad strategy that's grown organically out of your meta experiment in combining business and documentary storytelling. It's another thing to scale that strategy. We are working right now at Gimlet Media on crafting some set of policies. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll have something in place that we'll post on our website. Right now, here's what feels most important. One, and this should be quite obvious at this point, if we interview people for an ad, they should always know from the very beginning that they are going to be in an ad. Two, people listening to the ad should always know they're listening to an ad. That I feel like we've done pretty well so far. And three, this is fairly obvious, but worth saying out loud, advertisers should never have any editorial control over any of our content. That's all pretty straightforward, frankly. One question I'm still wrestling with, what is the line between an ad and an endorsement? I don't want to be in the business of saying we use or love products we don't actually use or love. But of course, one reason advertisers love podcasters is because the ad comes out of our mouths, which in some ways is an implicit endorsement. I don't know exactly what the answer is. I'm still wrestling with that. So you just heard the episode, we made a mistake. We got out of that one okay, but we haven't really stopped making mistakes, big and small. I think it's just part of life in a startup. And the last listener call for this startup binge drop deals with a situation that actually causes a lot of mistakes in the first place, growth. Hello, this is Ben. Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Going good, how are you? Good, awesome. Ben works for a company that installs audio, video, and lighting systems at places like churches, aquariums, theme parks. We did specialty lighting for uh-huh. a like a harvest festival down in the Dollywood theme park, like in you know down in Tennessee, uh-huh. Forge. So, yeah, yeah. Specialty lighting. What is that? So it was basically they had this big harvest festival, and um, what they did, did Dolly is they perform? contract. Uh, no, oh. unfortunately, we did we did not see her in the flesh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, basically, what they did is they covered half the park in these um, pumpkins. They're uh-huh. actually like foam pumpkins. And every single one of them had one or two light fixtures in them, and we basically programmed them to like dance to music and like do all kinds of different stuff. <laughs> Ben's been at the company for two and a half years, and Ben's company is trying to grow bigger, but without jeopardizing the quality of their work. Ben wants to know, how are we handling that? Do you fear, like, failing podcasts or dropping quality as you grow? Um, I mean, it seems like you guys are making new shows left and right. Yeah, I think it's something that I fear. I think it's something that, like, the team fears a lot. And feedback that we often get is sort of like, are we losing what we had? Are we growing too fast? You know, it's hard not to feel that way when you're in a when you're in growth mode. And yes, I feel like we are trying to do quality at scale, um, and like mm-hmm. that's a hard thing to do. I also though feel like um, I'm not sure it's exactly true that like growth is inversely proportional to quality. Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. actually true. I think output with the same resources is inversely mm-hmm. correlated to quality. So like, I think if you've got the same group of people trying to do more and more and more, the quality will suffer. But if you're hiring more people to do more stuff, 
then the quality doesn't necessarily need to suffer. But the flip side of that is that, you know, by necessity in podcasting, and especially the kind of sort of narrative podcasting that we've been sort of focused on thus far, there there wasn't a huge pool of people who knew how to do it. Like the, just the talent pool wasn't super large in terms of people that had been doing this for a while. Um, yeah, it's a new medium. It's a new medium. And... You know, and for a long time, it was a really, really bad economic idea to get good at this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, there weren't jobs. And so there was, like, a couple of places you could draw from. There was, like, public radio, and there was, like, a couple shows out there that were where people had the skills. And so early on, like, when we hired people, we were, like, bringing people from other fields and sort of training. And, like, people had – there was a learning curve, right, as people sort of, like, yeah. came on. And now I've seen people who came on as sort of, like, beginners and are now – advanced and can like actually put together shows and are running things mm-hmm. and can write scripts and yeah. all this sort of thing. And and that's happening more and more throughout the company. So so our engineers, like we hired a bunch of engineers who had never worked in narrative podcasting before. They'd been they'd been mixed music mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But they hadn't they you know, I remember sitting down with one of the first engineers we hired and just sort of like you know, having to really go through like, okay, here's where you put the music in and sort of like, you know, uh and now, like, that guy would give me a tutorial, you know? Like, he's gone mm-hmm. from being my student to my teacher. As I'm confidently going on and on, pontificating about how we solved everything and how the student has become the teacher and it's all so flawless and wonderful, I noticed my producer, who was sitting across from me at the control board, with what I would have to describe as a skeptical look on his face. Looking at my producer, Luke, who might have a different view of this. <laughs> Luke. Do you, what do you <laughs> what do you think yes. about that? I think the problem comes in when it happens by chance, and I think at the very beginning that was the case largely. That, like learning was happening by chance. Yeah. And oh, so like, totally. Yeah. So you were sitting like say an engineer down and saying like, "This is how you do it," and then he'd go away, and then magically maybe in your eyes he comes back six months <laughs> later, or he or she twelve months later, and you're like. Now they're my teacher, but there's like a, a and lot of you struggle. Were there, yeah, like the whole like he was like, no, this is, you, so you were the one who was teaching this engineer how to like because no, was, no, not even yeah. me, but I mean, just like I feel like you see this transition in these two punctuated spots yes. where they're kind of learning from you, then they become your teacher, and it sounds magical and lovely, but there's <laughs> six to twelve months in between those two points where there's a lot of self doubt and they're struggling and yes. they don't know who to turn to, yeah, and exactly. that feels like pretty shitty. Yes, um, and I think what's changing is there was like, that was happening. Then there was an awareness of it, uh-huh. a lot of chatter about it. And now it's getting better about implementing trainings. So I'm still yes. like, to be honest, in my mind, like kind of far from there. Yeah. Um, but I can see that things are actually happening. Yes. But the period in between those two points of we're going from student to teacher. Doesn't always feel great. No, it you know? doesn't yeah. feel great. And I think that was one of my my miscalculations early on because I in my in my mind like oh that's what happened with me I started working at this American life and I remember these very specific moments in my my own development as a producer which was sort of like I started at this American life it was my first job in radio I didn't know what I was doing I felt like completely terrified and I have like a couple of dark memories of being embarrassed and feeling out of place and then in my mind it sort of fast forwards to like Oh yeah, and then I produced that show, and I knew what I was doing, and I felt like I had it under under my belt. And I'm, I'm, I've sort of like cut out years of struggle on my own part. And then the other thing that I cut out was that I was like at this place where like there was a bunch of people who really were like who had, who had been doing it for a long time, including 
Ira Glass, my boss, who was sort of a visionary and genius, and Julie Snyder and Elise Spiegel and all these people who were sort of like who had been doing the work. And so I was learning from this like team of people that had been doing it for a long time. And so it did happen by osmosis for me, but because of like the environment that I was in, it was like osmosis was something that could happen. And so I was sort of expecting the same osmosis process here, but like there was a lot more people who were just getting started. There was a lot less people who'd been doing it for a while. So there's just like a whole bunch of reasons why that didn't work. And it was a bad system. Uh, and yes, we are getting our act together and we're like launching these training programs now. Yeah. But sorry, Ben, are you still there? Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think about all no, that? No, you're good. Yeah? This is all, no, this is all really interesting. Um, part of the reason I asked the question was because um, I work at a pretty small company. Mm-hmm. And um, like one of the things that we, we did this past year was kind of like forecast. If we need, if we want to reach our goal, we need to grow and we need to be able to manage the growth so that it doesn't affect our, you know, our final outcome, how we do our work, mm-hmm. how we, you know, treat our clients and that kind of thing. So how, how do you do that? Well, that's the hard thing. So kind of what you said about how you like train people is um, a lot of us here have worked either like in or around churches or um, like around technology and that kind of stuff. But really the last couple of people we've hired, they've been around this kind of stuff, but they'd never done it before. So like you said, we kind of have had like an onboarding process where we, you know, brought them along and taught them along the way and stuff like that. And and the other thing we've done is we hire local, you know, people to help us out on jobs. And sometimes they end up, because they work with us so much, they end up working for us because right. they learn through us when they're on the job and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. But it sounds like you're yeah. in very much the same situation where you have to be very intentional about training people and mm-hmm. like figuring out how to do that. And what I found is that like, well, then that, that puts you in a completely different, for me, it's like, oh, my company is like making podcasts and we're all about making podcasts. But then my mm-hmm. particular job is literally curriculum designer. You know, <laughs> this is one of the things I'm learning on the job as the CEO of a company. My role changes all the time according to the needs of the company at that particular moment. That is it for this after show. Next up, our fifth and final Startup Binge episode, one of the five best episodes as selected by our listeners. And afterwards, another very special guest will join me in the studio. The after show for this episode was produced by Luke Malone. It was edited by Devin Taylor, Annie Rose Strasser, Molly Messick, and me. Andrew Dunn mixed the episode. The original episode was produced by Caitlin Roberts. The music was by Build Buildings and Mark Phillips. Mark also mixed that episode. To subscribe to Startup, go to Apple Podcasts or whichever app you like to use. If you like this podcast, my friends, I have news for you. There are so many more awesome podcasts to listen to. You can go to gimletmedia.com and check out a bunch of them. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup or at Gimlet Media. Thank you for listening.